good news, amen. Hey, by the way, I'm a black teacher, so talk back to you. The game I like to play, talk back to you. Um, well, hey, man, I'm, I'm really honored to, to be here and say that my name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors that we do in the fellowship in Kansas City. My wife and I have been uh, part of that church in the fellowship in 2008. I've been on staff for about eight years now. Um, we've had a little girl, um, fact three, actually, I only came to the about six years ago. She's three years old. So I'm like, hey, can we get another dude in the house? It's just not happening. So anyway, man, I'm honored to be here. I thought it was pretty And it's funny, man, just to think about this place and this place. This one hasn't actually changed at all. Since I was in college, um, man, like a little over a decade ago, I was a college student sitting in New York City. Uh, a part of UBC's college ministry at the time, my wife and I eventually served on staff at UBC for a year before we moved to Kansas City to start seminary. So this is really place for us and a sweet church and a sweet ministry for us. And um, by God's grace, like, just to think about this place, like, there's been such, such an investment in our lives and in our souls in this room and as a part of the church family. So, man, like, you, you may not feel it right now, but, like, 12 years from now, we moved to Kansas 12 years ago, 12 years from now, like, I'm telling that God, you're able to look back and see that place in multitude of ways. And because of what God sowed into your heart here, it fits like this with like a really beautiful uh, deep dive into what a mental walk with Jesus as a college student is. College is like that time, right, where we're setting our course for our life, like what we want to do, what success looks like. Um, and, and as we kind of run through the college landscape, it's like, well, college, success looks like prestige and renown and your name being known and businesses being started and lots of good being done in the world, significant. Um, but here's what I want you to hear. You can spend your life in pursuit of success in all of those ways. You can spend your life doing all of those things and never actually end up satisfied. Never actually end up satisfied. In fact, all of those things weren't made for or designed for by God to give you uh, the sense of satisfaction that you long for. Jesus alone can do that work. And so everything else that we gather will mold and will rot. Everything else we try to build will eventually crumble. But the kingdom of Jesus is a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And he is a treasure that will never rot and never be destroyed. It's like telling you know, you think like, hey, why don't you let it tell you to know where it won't rot and where it can't be destroyed, right? And that, that treasure is found in him and him alone. So for the next, really just the next, over the next several hours, we're going to be together for a, a short time really uh, here. I want to talk about what it means to set yourself up for spiritual success uh, as, a, as a college student. Uh, and, and I'm going to start our time tonight in the center of that pursuit. And in fact, it's actually the center of God's pursuit of you. That is the gospel itself. It's the foundation of our faith. It is the seed that bears the fruit of righteousness in our faith. It is the soil from which our faith really grows out of as we mature uh, in, in the Christian life. And so to start our time off, man, I just want to go back over the good news, like what it is that, that God has brought us into and like why we're able to be in this place and why that song, those last two songs we just sang, is actually really good news. And I say that because here's the deal. All of us are gospel specific people. Like every single one of us forget. We begin to try to relate to God on the basis of our own works, wondering how he feels about us and all this stuff. Like the best thing that I can do to start our time off as we talk 
talk about what it means to grow in Christ, to walk with you. And he said, hey man, let's go back and think through the beginning of our walk with the Lord Jesus and what that looks like. If you turn in your Bible to Colossians chapter 2, we will spend our time on tonight. Colossians chapter 2. You don't know where that is. Since the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Colossians chapter 2, Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 is where we're going to start. If you have to say amen, if you don't have to say, wait a second, please. Alright, we're there. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, is, and this is the Apostle Paul. It says, Therefore, he received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as he was taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to his human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of this world, and not according to Christ. For in him, somebody say, in him. For in him the whole fullness of beauty dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him. Somebody say, in him. He is the head of all rule and authority. And somebody say, the next, in him also. You were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and circumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of death that stood against us. We must leave with the man. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. We pray in the name of Jesus and our together. Father, um, I'm grateful to be in this church. Um, all the memories of the gospel being proclaimed over my life. And I'm mindful of all the places where I needed the hit and it didn't hit immediately. So God, I ask for your special grace. I ask for your presence and your power to be here and now. In my words, with power to be asked in the name of you to speak not just my words, but your words to the students. And God, would you make all of our hearts of good soil to receive the seed of the truth and give us all of the best seed and grow in all of our lives. And so, God, as I stand here and preach your word, I ask that you would come and move in a demonstration of your spirit and power so that the faith of your students and my faith doesn't rest on my proclamation, but on your power and your movement in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. And we live in a world that is looking for hope. Like we're looking for hope. Everybody's looking for the satisfaction of all of the longings of our hearts. And everybody's looking for, in a word, salvation. We're actually all looking for salvation. Now, we might say in, in a bunch of different terms, I might say I'm looking for the right job, the right relationship, the right, uh, the right position, et cetera, et cetera. But every one of us is looking for salvation, which is to say we all think that there's something wrong with us and something wrong about our lives. And all of us have a strategy of some kind to deal with what we feel like is broken about our lives. So if you're overweight, salvation looks like losing weight, right? If you're lonely, salvation looks like in a relationship, right? Like finding someone to, to love you. If you're unpopular, salvation looks like I'm getting it in with the in crowd now. If you feel like you're overlooked, salvation looks like doing whatever you can to get noticed, to be seen. If you feel out of control in your life, salvation.
salvation through like grabbing whatever it is that you can to be in control, whether it be a person or a position or work or a relationship. We do whatever we can to feel not out of control. We're all looking for something to fix what is broken in our lives, and we'll do everything that we can to fix it, to attain that sense of satisfaction and wholeness and, and fulfillment and give us this really sense of identity, the bigger problems that we all run into, right? All of the things that we are running toward to try to gain that sense of salvation that we need all make us have to work to attain them, and in the end, they don't actually deliver on the promises. What do you mean? Be like, if you're overweight, you can actually lose weight. You're like, hey, that feeling that you think you're going to have when you lose that weight, that's actually not there. It's actually been taking the ride the whole time. It can't satisfy you. So you find yourself always reaching, always working, never grasping it, never attaining to what it is you were longing for. Remember, we're prone to the same temptation that these folks in Colossae are, are prone to. There was false teaching afoot in the church at Colossae that was telling them that they had to uh, do more things in order to actually receive this higher plane of relationship with God. Like, hey man, I heard you got that Jesus thing, but have you put all these extra rules that you can see to stack on top of your salvation to actually get you into the place of relating to God that, that you long for? And Paul says that you're in danger of being deluded out of your salvation in Christ. And he says that they're plausible arguments, actually. He talks about it in, in verse 4 of chapter 2. He says, and then I don't want anyone to delude you with plausible arguments, which is to say there's something that looks really true about the things that we're being taught, right? There's something really true about what you're being told in college, about what success looks like, about what fulfillment will actually look like. There's something that feels true, but Paul lets us know it is nothing but fool's gold. How many of you take geology in school, right? It's like you got the, the, the mineral powder, right? Like it's got this metallic luster to it. It looks really rich. It looks really powerful. It looks like, man, if I get a hold of that, like, I've really got something. The problem is it's worth nothing. It's worth nothing. It's just fool's gold. And what, what Paul is, is laying out in front of him, he's like, hey, man, that thing that they're offering you looks really shiny. It looks like you might have something more of a spiritual life, but it's actually fool's gold. And so Paul's word to us today is actually found in, in, uh, in, in verse 8. He says, hey, teach me that no one takes you captive by any empty philosophy, by any philosophy or empty deceit according to human tradition and according to the elemental spirits of this world and not according to Christ. Which is to say, hey, if anyone offers you a different solution to satisfy all of your longings, it's garbage. It's garbage. You need to run away from anything else that's going to offer you a sense of salvation that you're longing for. So how does he tell us we need to stay clear from things that we're drawn away from Christ? Because if you're telling me that's garbage over there, like, how are you going to get my eyes on something else? If, if we're going to turn away from something wrong, we have to be captured by a better vision, right? So Paul points our hearts back to the gospel of Jesus. And so he looks at, at the beginning of verse 6. He says, therefore, right? Therefore, you find that therefore you ask this, ask the question, what's the therefore, right? Right? In other words, what Paul is saying, in light of all of my labors on your behalf to show off Jesus, to show that Christ is the preeminent one, that he alone is able to give you the satisfaction that your soul needs. In light of all that, therefore, as you receive Christ as Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up and established in the faith, just as you were taught and abounding in thanksgiving. It's this call to live out the faith that Jesus is Lord. And the only way from being able to uh, be taken captive by all of those 
empty of philosophies and empty arguments about what salvation looks like is to look to Jesus. It's to, to move your whole story around Jesus, remind yourself of his worship and walk in him. And Paul says, like, like a tree, Roots of stuff in them, like a, a skyscraper that's being built in the middle of the city, or one of these new condos being built in the middle of freaking Fayetteville. I don't know what's happening in places I live here. Like, you set your foundation in that gospel and build up off of that. Everything else is sticking sand to yourself, and he tells us to do it with thanksgiving at the end of verse 7. Why did he tell us that? Because the beginning of sin and idolatry in the human heart starts with grumbling. Starts with grumbling. How do you know that, Pete? Well, if you look back to the Exodus account, right? The people of Israel have just been freed from 400 years of slavery. So they're out in the middle of the desert and they're grumbling that God has left us out here to die. How, how dare you do something like this? And they begin to turn the idols. They begin to grumble and begin to think, maybe God's holding back something from us. And idolatry is old as the Garden of Eden. Genesis chapter 3. What's the lie, right? That God's holding on. More to life than what he has to give you, right? Thanksgiving, Paul tells us, is the way that we avoid falling prey to plausible arguments. Because Thanksgiving, the reminders that we have in the Lord Jesus, and reminds us that God actually is an holding out on you. He's actually not holding out on you. So if you look at this text of Eden, Paul wants us to see this reality. He wants us to see that Jesus alone. Is perfectly qualified to be your all sufficient savior. Jesus alone is perfectly qualified to be your all sufficient savior. He alone is the answer to the longings of your heart, and he alone is the answer to the deepest needs of your soul, family. Which raises the question, right? What do I need to be saved from? And what do I need to be saved from? It's a question that we're asking. It's a question that people on your campus are asking all the time. Like, faith and what? What are you talking about? What do I need salvation? What, is, what do I need to be saved from? Paul tells us four things in this text that we need to be saved from. Four things in the we have to be ready tonight. The first one. Um, he says that Jesus saves us from number one, our inability to see God. Our inability to see God. Number two, Jesus saves us from our attempt to be fulfilled in anything outside of Him. He saves us from our attempt to be fulfilled in anything outside of Him. Third, he saves us from spiritual death. Spiritual death. And then fourth, he saves us from the judgment of God. From the judgment of God. So let's look at our, our first point, our inability to see God. The deepest need of the human soul is to know the living God. It is what you were made for. It's what I was made for. And I'm saying no, not in the sense of theological. We'll talk about this a little bit later. Not in the sense of having words and information about God, but to experientially and relationally know the living God. You were made for that. And there's all kinds of folks offering all kinds of spiritual paths to transcendence and how to find God somewhere out there. Like, if you just go out in the trees, you can find God. Like, you know, God's a person, not a force, by the way. Like, God is, is, is relational. Our spirit is relational. We are able to know the living God. Relational, like, it's not some force out there that can just be found by being in a place where people are offering all kinds of sources of transcendence. But you were made to know the living God. But God says to, uh, to Moses in Exodus chapter 33, he says, hey, you can't see my face. You can't see my face. So man can't see me and live. Like, 
for us to know the living God, to see the living God face to face, and be in this peace. You can't get there. But Paul says that in Christ, that's no longer the case. Because in, in this person, in the person of Jesus, we've been able to see God. Verse 9, look at In Him, the whole fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form. Which is to say, Jesus Himself makes it possible for you to know the fullness of God. To relate to the fullness of who God is. Which is to say, Everything that you need to know about God is found in Jesus. All of His holiness, all of His grace, all of His love is found in this person, Jesus. Now think about this for a second, family. The eternal God, the creator and sustainer of all things, made it possible for you to see Him and live. His sin made it impossible for you to be able to live. And yet He made it possible in Christ for you to see Him and live. And this is the brain bender, right? The whole fullness of beauty was in bodily form. Which is to say, God took His universe transcending self and fit the fullness of His essence in a body. That's crazy, right? Like the full essence of God in bodily form wrapped in the flesh. You know what that means for you, family? It means you never have to look anywhere else to see God. You never have to look anywhere else. You don't have to try to find some higher plane of spirituality to see God. You set your eyes on Jesus, family. So when anybody comes to you saying, hey, I've got another way to connect with some kind of higher power, you can say, hey, man, everything I need to see about the living God, I can see in this met your inability to see God by coming close, by living in our neighborhood, so to speak. He took on our sin. He experienced our suffering. He experienced temptation just like you and me, so that He could offer grace and mercy to people like me. And Jesus says in John chapter 17 that, that eternal life is knowing God, knowing the one true God in Jesus Christ who is sin. As man, eternal life is not going to some place way out there. It is relating to the living God. It is knowing God. Your best life actually can be lived. No, it's not like going to the same. Also, if you look at him, you have everything that you need. If you look at him, you have everything that you need to know about God. Jesus saves us from our inability to see the living God. Number two, uh, he saves us also from our attempts to be fulfilled in anything outside of him. Look, as we behold him, as we come to know this Jesus and be the forms of God dwells, Paul says that he fulfills us actually. He fulfills us, verse 10 says, and you have been filled with him. You've been filled with him, he is the head of every rule and authority. You've been filled with him, which means that you are complete and lacking nothing, right? Like you lack nothing, you've been filled up in him. And Augustus says, You have made us for yourself, O God, my heart to be restless until they find its rest in you. And that's good news for people like me. We're always looking for fulfillment somewhere else, right? Like, we're always looking for the next hit, the next high, the next thing that's going to fill up my love tank, whatever that thing is for me. And throughout the Bible, we see people looking to something to fulfill them outside of the living God. And family, there's a word in the Bible for that. Idolatry. Nothing else in your life will be able to actually fulfill you and to look to it, to look to that person, to look to that experience, 
to look to that God to do that for me just by knowledge that God alone can satisfy us. Like we, the Apostle Paul says that we, we turn away from worship of the Creator and we worship the creation. Jeremiah uses a, a really good terminology for our knowledge in Jeremiah chapter 2. He talks about uh, pursuing broken systems, which is to say, like, these pots of water that have been cracked, this, this hole in the ground that's been cracked, all the water leaks out of it, and we keep going back to it, acting like my place will be put to Like, here's the truth. Everything that you look to is like a cracked pot in the desert ground. The water's going to leak out. It's going to be gone. It's going to be spicy. But in him, you can still, you can still, in him, I'll tell you that in Christ alone, we can be filled. And when we're filled in him, we can quit looking to other things to fill us up. Quit looking to other things to be for us. The only God in Christ can be for us. This is what um, by a guy named Tim Chester called Deep in Pain. And um, Chester has a four truths. You guys familiar with that at all? Tim Chester's book, Deep in Pain. He's got four truths that talk about, and then if you want to see change in your life, you have to be captured uh, by a better vision, right? That's what I said earlier. So he gives us these four dreams about God to help us turn our vision around and realize we can only be fulfilled in him. He says that God is great, so we don't have to be in control. Actually, he's not great. God is great. You don't have to be in control. God is glorious. You don't have to fear other people. You don't have to be afraid of other people. Uh, reverence for other people. God is the glorious one. See, God is good. So I don't have to look elsewhere. God is good. I don't have to look elsewhere for His goodness for something that comes to me. And He says God is gracious. So you don't have to prove yourself. See, many of you are trying to before God and before other people are trying to prove yourself, prove that you belong, prove that you're worth loving. When you get to know God through Christ's family, it's such a truth in trying to find fulfillment in anything else. But, 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 but finding that all that God is for us in, in Christ. But it gets even more beautiful. Paul moves on and tells us that Jesus saved us from number three, fear for death. Save us from fear for death. Now, before Paul gets to the good news, he's got to break down the bad news because he wants us to see how bad our situation is before Christ comes in to the picture. So look with me to verse 13. He says, and you, you, you were dead in your trespasses, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, and God made you alive together with him. That's the good news for you. You were, you were dead. Because of our sin and our unrighteousness, family, we are spiritually dead. We're not spiritually seeking. There's a lot of people who are like, well, who, who are the people who are seeking around us? Like, hey, man, there's people that know Jesus, and there's people that don't know Jesus and are dead. People that are alive in Christ and people who are spiritually dead, you may consider yourself a secret, but spiritually speaking before the living God, the Bible is really clear today. And dead men don't walk, dead men don't talk, dead men don't make decisions for them. They don't, they don't do anything. Dead means dead, unable to raise ourselves, unable to fuel ourselves. We're like zombies, right? We're like these dead men and women walking apart from Christ. Paul says our spiritual deadness has two parts to it. He talks about our trespasses and the uncircumcision of our flesh. And what he means there is there's stuff that you've done and there's a disposition of your heart uh, that all that mess flowed out of. There's stuff that you've done, your trespasses, and then there's the uncircumcision of your flesh. That's the, the heart that all this stuff 
flowed out of. To talk about our sin, we, we use like real soft language a lot of times. Like, right? man, I missed the mark. I missed the mark. What trespasses actually means is, no, you intended to step over the line. You intended to do the thing. You, you knowingly stepped over the line. I was with my kids earlier today, man, and like, dude, the number of times I'm like, no, 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 don't do that. And the look that I get, Yourself, like, no, I'm gonna do what I want to do anyway. That's a trespass. That's, that's, that's crossing the line. You probably passed a you know, a no trespassing sign on your way out here, right? The trespass is to cross a line that is not yours to cross, to step over somewhere. And this is, this is the thing that Paul wants you to see, man. You intended to do that. But, like, it's not just that we every now and then cross lines. We are, as Charlie Murphy says, habitual line stepping. Like, we, we, are, we are problematic, and we're, we're good at it, too. We're really good at it, really predisposed toward it. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 15, that all the dark and defiling stuff comes from our heart. That's the uncircumcision of your, of your flesh, like, it is flowing from a place inside of you. Paul names, uh, names his name in Colossians uh, chapter 1, verse 20, verse 21. He says that we were alienated, that we were hostile in mind, like, we, we We've got issues inside of us, not just outside of us. And by the way, it needs to be said that there's not only people that are doing really obviously sinful stuff in the room that are opposed to living out of alienated things. You can go to church your whole life. Hear me, listen. You can go to church your entire life and be alienated from the living God. You can know a lot of Bible verses and be alienated from the living God. You can know all these things. You can look really good on paper, not smoking, drinking, chewing, or dating girls at period like doing all the right things and still be alienated from the living God. We've got this mindset a lot of times. I grew up in church with exception. We've got this mindset it's like those people that are living really worldly that are far from the living God. Let me listen. There's people that live close to the living God that are always around God. They just don't know, man. They just don't know. Are you trying to work for your salvation and your standing before God? If you are saying you're alienated from it, no one can earn the righteous. No one can. You can't run from your God's fulfillment and you can't work for your earn salvation. We are spiritually dead, but God, right? But God, Paul says, again, in the middle of verse 10, he says, that God made us alive together. Which means that something has been done by Christ to deal with the evil that's in my heart and the evil that comes out of my hand. If my heart and my works were hostile to God and that, that causes death, like for Him to, to be able to make me alive means that God must have done something to deal with my spiritual death. And He's done that. He's made me alive together in Christ. He's made me alive together in Christ. True life in me cannot be found. Outside of him, salvation and spiritual death can only—salvation from spiritual death can't come from me. It only comes through him. Now, how did God make this happen? Leads us to the next thing that Paul says we need to be saved from. He says, "He says we need to be saved from the judgment of God." And Christ has done that. Verse 13 and 14 together. And you who are dead in your trespasses, the uncircumcision of your flesh, God has made alive together with Christ. Having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the written code, it stood against us. The record of death is stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, 
merely receive the chance? How do we take this that kind of salvation? How do we make us alive? How do we free us from the judgment of God? Who forgave? How many of our trespasses? Anybody listen? How many of us?
Jesus' work in the gospel is the foundation of your spiritual life. It is the seedbed of your spiritual life. It's only like the reason I come in and say, like, you know that. Why do you think that to us? Because this is we are gospel and legion. We have gospel and legion. I forget that it's that truth that makes me right with God, and I depend on my words to God to make me right before the living God. Tell your story, welcome your son. Well, my, I, I grew up in church. Church too. Uh, my parents loved Jesus. My mom was my first and she's right. I knew all the right answers coming in the Bible. I got in my first year, tried to walk the straight and narrow path. I was a good kid. I was in the Bible study. I, I did my training. Sophomore year, the Lord fell off um, quite a bit. Um, there was partying and girls involved in my faith about Jesus in my life. And I remember all I could think about uh, the summer after my sophomore year was like, hey, man, I got to get back right here. I got to fix it all. Gotta, as I'm laying in my bed, not in my right mind, right? Like, I'm, I'm like, I got to figure out how to get back right here. So, when Joe White, the king of that song, comes down, carries this big, huge tree, right? Down into the big field at the University of Arkansas. I was basketball for the University of Arkansas. I was trying to do a little Bible study in the college ministry. I knew some things about the school people. And then Joe came in that night and he goes, he goes across and as he, as he comes to the end of that night, my guys in my Bible study and I are standing there holding this backpack. And he told us, I have a sheet of paper, and I, I gave always some paper and some of the writers on the way in. I want you to write down. Everything that you feel, guilt over, shame over, the things that you've committed against the living God. And if you're willing to give that to the Lord tonight as a testimony of life, who died for this, and all of you know the thing that you don't feel like, man, you got to that in your life, in your shame right now. And just says, all of that stuff, write that down. I've got a camera that got some nails. And we're going to nail that to the foot of the cross today because that is what Jesus did. So that thing that kind of proves God that I'm worth loving and kind of work that thing down. Yeah, no more. Bring that, write that down, nail it to the cross, and physically say, I don't bear this thing anymore. This isn't mine. I'll watch it. Things of mine carry down with the rod of paper and nail it to the cross like three feet in front of my face. And all I can think is like, oh, I've been like working and trying to end it all the time. And what Joseph told me, as he read Colossians 2, I'm telling you that I because you were dead in the trespasses of the sins, you have such a good of yourself, that God made you alive to go to the Christ, having forgiven all your trespasses, having trusted the living faith and stood against you with all of the good of your life, this is set aside by the Lord to the cross, but I realized in that moment right now that I'm working my whole life, trying to make sure that you're done on your own place. I want to invite you to bring that, and invite you to bring that to him without fear. God, 